This is Ken Lubin, and welcome to the Ultimate Hire podcast. What is the Ultimate Hire? The Ultimate Hire is the professional that every business, team, or leader needs in their organization. This is the high-performance individual that always rises to the top, brings the team to the next level, and can significantly add to the bottom line. The Ultimate Hire is the person that you can't afford to be without. Finding, attracting, hiring, and retaining these professionals is critical to the success of your business. We have identified these traits and can help you find these top professionals. A little bit about me. I'm a managing director and longest tenured employee with ZRG Partners. I'm the creator of the Ultimate Hire blog, founder of Executive Athletes, a U.S. Olympic Committee career advisor, and endurance athlete as well as following my true passion of being a husband, father, and son. I love to get people out of their comfort zone while helping them achieve their dreams and companies achieve their goals by helping them realize the importance of living a high-performance life. This podcast will feature hiring strategies, interview tips, conversations with key business leaders, as well as other search professionals. This is designed to give individuals and organizations tools and tactics to have a competitive advantage for career growth, business growth, and insights to the most important resource, the people. If anyone has any questions, feel free to reach out to me at klubin at ZRG Partners, and I hope you enjoy the show. Today's guest is Andrew Dick. Andrew is a shareholder in the Indianapolis office of Hall Render. And he is responsible for leading the firm's real estate service line. For over a decade, he has represented owners, operators, developers, and investors of healthcare facilities on real estate matters. He is routinely called upon to assist clients as they lease, purchase, sell, and develop healthcare facilities. Over the years, Andrew has been a frequent speaker on healthcare real estate topics at local, regional, and national conferences. He has also written extensively on legal issues affecting healthcare real estate transactions. Andrew, welcome to the show. Ken, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about who Andrew is, how you got into the healthcare real estate business. Love to learn a little bit because this is such a hot topic in today's world. Sure. Um, happy to, to chat about um, what I'm doing today. I, um, when I was younger, I always wanted to be in the real estate business and, um, had a friend's father say, Hey, you should, you should go to law school. That may be a good path to getting into the real estate business. And we'd think you'd, you'd be a good attorney. Um, I'm not sure what basis he had to really say that, but, um, uh, I ended up going to law school and, uh, really enjoyed, real estate law when I was, when I was um, in law school and happened to um, uh, finish law school around 2005. And at that time, I wanted a job at a law firm representing developers and um, uh, of real estate. I always had this vision that I would be representing these, these big time developers and it'd be really, really fun. Um, well, it was, it was hard to get a job at that time. And so I, I took the next year and moved down to Miami, Florida. Um, and at University of Miami, they have a graduate program for lawyers where you can specialize in real estate development. And uh, I said, well, um, you know, this is maybe my shot at uh, getting some more experience and maybe getting my foot in the door 
at a, at a law firm. Um, and that's what I did. So I moved to Miami uh, in 05. And at that time, uh, Miami um, was a very uh, dynamic place as, as it is today, but there was an awful lot of high rise condominium developments going on. And so I was able to study there with um, uh, a number of developers and I had to work at law firms uh, as an intern working on uh, primarily condominium development projects. And I, I just thought, you know, gosh, this is as good as it gets. Um, um, but I didn't, didn't, didn't see myself living in Miami long-term. So um, I'm from the Midwest and um, I ended up coming back to Indiana, which is my, my home state and uh, interviewed for jobs and folks around here said, um, you know, you have good experience. Uh, I had a few job opportunities, but the firm that, that really uh, made an impression on me was the firm I'm at now, which is called Hall Render. And we are a uh, healthcare boutique firm. We represent hospitals and healthcare providers all around the country. Uh, I'd never heard of the firm, um, not a healthcare, uh, don't have a healthcare background, um, but it really hit it off with the real estate team and the rest is history. I've been here for about 14 years, um, primarily representing hospitals, healthcare providers, and, and some investors and developers on new hospitals, new medical buildings, surgery centers, nursing homes, it really runs the gamut. And so uh, it's been great. Uh, the niche has paid off. Uh, I, I didn't really know what having a specialty meant um, when I was coming out of law school, but, it, but it, it's paid dividends. My, my friends that went to general practice firms that were doing uh, residential development or condominium developments, that work really ebbs and flows um, over the years. And, and you, know, you may have a few years where you're really busy and then a few where you don't have anything to do. Um, and so healthcare has been really steady. It, it's been, uh, I've been really fortunate to be here. Uh, great people. We're a, a, a mid-sized firm of about 150 lawyers. We're not a mega firm. And I think the culture really um, fits my personality. And real estate, right, has always been one of the hottest topics out there in the marketplace from, you know, some years are good, some years are tough. And tell us a little bit about what's happening out there right now. I'm, I'm sure the healthcare market is is super hot and the commercial market is probably <laughs> somewhat interesting. Talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. When I started in this industry, I did, you know, I, I thought, hey, I liked the people that it, I liked the firm. Uh, I didn't really think healthcare real estate was, uh, it was interesting, but, but, but it, you know, it wasn't as uh, sexy as building a high rise condominium development in downtown Miami. Um, but, but I will tell you, uh, in the early days, it, it was, uh, there was a small um, pool of developers and investors. Uh, and in the early days, um, those folks considered medical real estate, what's called an alternative asset. It's not a mainstream, you know, um, professional office building or a apartment complex. It was an alternative asset, kind of something that's a little lesser known. Uh, but today, um, certainly uh, over the past two or three years, uh, medical real estate has become extremely hot. The, the pool of investors uh, has grown tremendously um, and the prices have went up significantly for medical office buildings, surgery centers, things like that. Um, and then when COVID hit, um, these assets became even more attractive. Um, and uh, even though medical and healthcare was, was hot over the past few years, it became even more safe, a, a safer investment, which drives up the price 
Um, and primarily because the tenants pay their rent. Um, it, it, it's not always recession proof, but it generally is. And, and, and some might say that it's pandemic proof um, because the publicly traded landlords, the, the REITs uh, that publish their, their rental rate data and collection data, uh, during the pandemic, they were collecting 90, 95% of the rents, whereas uh, some other retail landlords or office landlords were, were much lower in terms of percentage. Um, and then at the same time, we've seen an explosion in the demand for life sciences real estate. So Ken, where you're at, of course, in, in, uh, in uh, the Boston area, I would say, I know you're a little outside of there, but, but that market has become extremely hot. Um, investors are buying up these laboratory buildings and what we call life sciences real estate. And there's been an explosion of new development because we, we predict that there will be more um, uh, R&D type services post-pandemic um, because I think most of us would agree that um, we weren't as prepared as maybe we should have to combat uh, COVID-19. So the real estate market has been extremely dynamic, you know, for, uh, I've, I've received a lot of calls over the past nine months of, you know, potential opportunities. Clients say, hey, I'm, I'm getting into this business. I need someone who knows the business. Um, would love for you to, to help us. And um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, uh, but, but, you know, I don't know that any of us would have predicted this level of activity about uh, a year ago. So it's, it's been dynamic and uh, the, the um, we can talk about different subsectors later on, but it, it just, um, it really runs the gamut of all these different types of healthcare assets and investors that only play in a certain space. Some may say, I only want to buy nursing homes. Others may say, I just want to buy surgery centers, et cetera. Um, but it's, it's become very specialized. And one of the things we were talking about a little bit before jumping on here is about sort of the, the repurposing, right, of commercial real estate from malls to office buildings into the healthcare space. Talk to us a little bit about that because there's going to be, with everyone working from home now with, you know, sort of, you know, that whole world shifting, it's going to be sort of a, a very interesting time. It is. Um, it, it's, you know, um, I wrote a year in review piece. Um, I, I write a weekly update on LinkedIn on healthcare real estate. And then I did a year in review piece, just trying to track all the topics I've covered over the past year. And it's very interesting. A number of the big healthcare providers have um, either acquired or leased what I consider to be class B or C malls that have struggled historically, or I, I should say over the past couple of years. Uh, you know, those empty Macy's buildings we were talking about or Sears buildings, those big, big box stores, the healthcare providers are repurposing those uh, into administrative office space, uh, into medical office space, um, and some into hospitals. And I was just looking at, you know, some of the stories I've tracked over the past year. I mean, some of the major healthcare systems, like Duke University Healthcare Systems, converting a Macy's store right now into uh, admin office and clinical space. There's a big health system in Louisiana that's converting an old Sears store into a, what they call a super clinic with uh, a micro hospital and all these other outpatient services. And then we have uh, West Virginia University Medical Network is, is partnering with one of the big real estate players to um, uh, convert a former Sears store into a healthcare distribution center. Um, it's been really interesting um, and, and 
Ken, is as we talk. So yeah, Ken, we were talking about the repurposing of some of the, the big box retail stores. And, uh, you know, it's been interesting to see companies like Amazon uh, and some of the other logistics companies jump in and, and repurpose those as well. But healthcare has really been uh, one of the dominant players taking over these class B and C malls, um, primarily because they have all the entitlements. They're typically zoned properly. They have adequate utilities. Um, you have plenty of parking. And um, it's an opportunity for the health system to really um, uh, provide add value to to what is usually a struggling retail center. So it's been really interesting to see the big players um, repurpose those buildings. I mean, gosh, over the past year, I think I've seen at least five or six announcements of major healthcare systems repurposing the older malls, which is in many, many ways welcome by the communities, because as you and I were talking about, um, if these malls aren't repurposed, oftentimes they become a, a blighted area in a community and and uh, really drag down property values around them. No, and I think too, with the whole healthcare market, and like you mentioned, I'm in the Boston area, it's, it's a big place, right? For research as well as for sort of the day centers. And I think that's becoming bigger and bigger. And may, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're part of, you know, the UMass health system, which is, you know, is around here and Reliant and, and all those, those major players. And it is. It's making life easier. It's not going to doctors is not like it used to be. It was. It's not going into these big hospitals that are intimidating and everything else. And it allows you to sort of get service much quicker. And also too, especially during COVID is these urgent care centers, right? Where you can get tested, where you can go in and you're not swarmed and don't have to worry about <laughs> getting COVID from people if you're running into issues, that type of stuff. That's right. Yeah, and there's been an awful lot of activity with urgent care and, uh, and then the growth of telemedicine as well. And, and, and uh, the experts continue to say convenience is one of the, the driving forces. Folks want to drive somewhere uh, uh, around 15 minutes to a clinic or less. Um, and then we've seen uh, during the pandemic with the stay-at-home orders, we've seen uh, telemedicine just grow tremendously. Uh, access is just so important anymore. Um, uh, according to the patient surveys I've read. And how is, so the world of baby boomers, right? They're all starting to, you know, get older in, in age, not age out, but, you know, as, as we said, well, in sports, we say as aging out, right? You know, and, and you're moving into assisted living facilities. You're moving into um, sort of these 55 and over, you know, home parks or condominiums, but then have service. That has to be a huge growing market as well. It is. Uh, the investors call that the senior housing market. And uh, most of the re, uh, big real estate companies publish data yearly. Um, and some of the trade organizations for senior housing do as well, like Nick, uh, um, showing just the, the growth of the baby boomer population, which will drive more demand in senior housing. And, uh, but I'll tell you, um, as much as senior housing was on a really good trajectory when the pandemic hit, um, it really impacted the operators uh, in a negative way. And, and senior housing covers a pretty um, wide gamut of assets. Some of them are independent living where you, you know, you're 55 and older or something like that. Uh, and then some are uh, assisted living and then some are nursing homes. 
And uh, uh, almost the entire sector has taken a, a, a negative hit in terms of occupancy um, because uh, a number of those facilities had COVID outbreaks. They've, they've seen increased deaths. Um, and folks are afraid to drop off a loved one there in the event that COVID spreads through a facility. You know, um, and, and then the other thing that happened was that those facilities didn't have access to some of the stimulus money early on. Um, in particular, the uh, assisted and independent living facilities didn't have access to some of the uh, testing uh, equipment, um, and they struggled, and they're still struggling. But you're right, Ken. Uh, once we make it through uh, the pandemic, those facilities are likely going to thrive. Um, and I know some have already recovered quite a bit because the vaccines are becoming more widely distributed to those, uh, well, nursing homes right now, and then some of the assisted and independent living facilities. It's just going to take time. But yes, the demand is there. Um, the question is, have some of the developers overbuilt over time? Uh, the other thing that the experts tend to talk about in that industry is that um, the, the biggest problem is for those baby boomers is that not all of them can afford to stay in a, a nice senior housing facility. And so um, what we've seen is demand for um, affordable assisted living and independent living. And some of those are subsidized, some are not. Um, and, but, but there's tremendous demand for that type of product and there's just not enough developers out there building it uh, from what I've heard at the moment. But yes, great demand in senior housing, very interesting sector. And another thing that we're hearing, I do quite a bit of work in sort of the hedge fund space and private equity space where players are looking to invest. And I put a, put a whole business together in the medical equipment finance business, right? Which then are going into the hospitals and the surgery centers and everything else. One of the big things that they're talking about and looking to invest in is sort of the, the whole rehab center world. Talk to us a bit about that because I'm sure that's a hot market too as well. Well, yeah, and in rehab means different things. Yeah, in rehab people. and psychological stuff, oh, right? Yeah. You know, sort yeah. of psychiatric or who knows? I think who knows? I think those are going to be the rise of everything coming out of COVID, anyways. But it's, it's that's a big market that they're looking to get into. So I'd love to get some insight there. Well, it's underserved, and I'll, I'll distinguish. You know, we often get asked because we have clients that develop all different types of rehab type facilities, and that means different things to different people. Some are um, inpatient rehab hospitals for folks who have had a stroke that need like physical therapy for a while, and then they recover and go home. And then there the more of the, um, there's uh, drug addiction type rehab facilities, and then some are purely psychiatric. Um, uh, but there's uh, tremendous demand for, for all three of those asset types right now. We've seen the most growth in the rehab hospitals for folks who have uh, really that, that uh, the older generations that have fallen need physical rehab. Uh, those are being built all over the country right now um, and have been fairly successful. Um, the, the drug addiction and the psychiatric type facilities are also being built, but just not, as a, not at a fast enough pace in my opinion. Um, I think we may see more of those once we come out of the pandemic. Um, what, I've, what I've heard from the operators is that it's harder to get some of those facilities approved when you go to develop them. Some folks say, I don't want those in my backyard. Um, uh, others say, hey, we welcome them, but, but it still takes a while to get them up and running. And they're, it's maybe a little harder to make those profitable from what I've heard. Um, but there is tremendous demand um, for those services. And some, we've seen some of the, uh, 
the big tech companies try to play in that space. Um, uh, Google's got a business line where they're trying to help folks uh, through their technology beat uh, uh, addiction. And um, it'll be interesting to see um, how those perform over the next few years. But I, there's one thing for certain is that uh, we're going to need more mental health care services for sure, inpatient and outpatient. Um, it, it just seems like the pandemic has really shined a light on uh, some of the, the mental, mental and physical health issues that folks are facing. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see more, uh, more operators, open facilities um, um, to treat those patients. No, I think that's probably one of the, that's sort of the, you know, the piece that it not ignored, but I think it's probably taken out as many people as the actual COVID did, right? Sort of the mental health piece and the addiction piece. I think that's, you know, this, that's being exacerbated in today's world. It's alarming. Uh, I know a number of the big newspapers have published stories on the mental health crisis and it concerns me. It also concerns me that some of these folks in nursing homes have been stuck there for, for you know, what, what will be a year without really many visitors and, and they're facing mental health issues as well. And um, I just hope that we can, we can learn from this and um, help provide services to those folks that are struggling. So you contribute a lot to this space, right? Through your writing, through your speaking, through your presenting. If you could sort of give a crystal ball of what's happening in, in sort of the healthcare real estate space and life science real estate space, what are your thoughts? Where is this going? Well, I think we're going to see tremendous growth over the next uh, five years as more investors try to play in this space. Um, uh, what we've seen over the past year is there's been an awful lot of money uh, poured into life sciences real estate in particular, uh, billions of dollars. Um, and uh, we expect to see that continue to grow, especially in areas like Boston, the Boston area, San Diego, and there are a couple other life science hubs around the country. Um, in other kind of asset types, we'll continue to see growth, uh, especially with outpatient facilities, medical office buildings. Uh, a lot of investors who aren't able to get the returns they want in retail or general office space are going to move into uh, the healthcare space because it's, it's more predictable. Uh, um, they know that the odds of their tenant uh, moving out or uh, suffering a financial loss uh, where they can't pay their rent or is significantly lower. Um, so we'll, I'll, I, I predict we'll see tremendous growth um, in, in those areas, life sciences in particular, medical office, um, senior housing, we'll see growth, and then nursing homes, which are in senior housing, maybe to a lesser extent, um, but, but tremendous growth. No, and then the whole life science business, that's, you know, I'm sure taking on a whole life of its own, right? I think, again, we're talking about sort of the population and what's happening, but I think, you know, it's, it, it's huge, right? Where this is going, the research that's being done. And what's sort of crazy is people don't really realize that modern medicine is really only 30 years old, right? 40 years old. And we're just at the beginning of this, where things are going to start heading. It's exciting. Uh, when I read the stories of, uh, you know, all these, these young professionals moving to the Boston area to work for these life sciences startups, um, it's very exciting. Um, wh what I've learned um, uh, over the past year is that a lot of these life sciences, these R&D companies, 
um, a lot of them are, are kind of startup type companies. Yes, there's big players in the space like Big Pharma, but Big Pharma doesn't represent um, uh, a significant chunk of what's going on in areas like the, the, the Boston area and those life sciences corridors. It, it's often kind of smaller pockets of these startup companies with really smart young professionals. It's exciting to see what they're going to accomplish. And I think we're going to see more government funding for their R&D um, over the next few years, um, which is also exciting and, and hopefully will help us uh, better prepare for uh, the next pandemic. Um, well, and what you were saying too, it's sort of the life science tech startup. I'm, you know, it's not just Boston, but it's other parts of the world. It's almost like the dot-com world was, right? Mm -hmm. Or the tech world. And the crazy thing is how they're becoming so intertwined and, and, and meshed together. There's buildings in Cambridge, right? That one floor is all life science and then you go upstairs, it's Amazon. Then the next one is Google. And then the next one's an incubator. It's, it's sort of crazy. It is. And, you know, what's exciting for folks that live where you're at is that it just continues to build on um, all those different industries tend to thrive together, attracting, you know, talented young people and, and, and you know, older folks as well. But it just seems like there's been a, a huge migration of young professionals into that area and uh, businesses want to be there. They seem to be doing well. And uh, from what I hear is a great place to live. And if you're listening to this and you're sort of trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, that's a good road to go down into the life science business. And if you are um, looking to invest, that's another you know world that's good. And, and or if you're a parent and trying to tell your kids what to do, that's a good market to go in as well. It's a um, it is it's super hot. My wife's actually in that space, running clinical trials. She's a project manager for it, so we see it firsthand and what, what the market's doing and where it's going. I think, again, we're just at the beginning of this and where this is all going. It's exciting. Very exciting, in my opinion. So we're coming up here to a half an hour, Andy, and this has been awesome. Tell us a little bit about where people can find you, find out more about what you're up to if they want to you know, get in touch with you. Sure. Uh, my firm's name is Hall, H-A-L-L, Render, R-E-N-D-E-R.com. Uh, you can find my bio there uh, and my contact information. Would be happy to chat with any of your listeners. Um, very much enjoyed the conversation, Ken, and getting the chance to meet you. No, it's been a blast and sort of got a quick MBA in, in the healthcare real estate world. So thank you very much for sharing. If anyone has any questions, comments, feedback, needs to get in touch you know, with Andrew directly, email me at klubin at ZRG Partners as well. But Thanks for listening. Keep up the good work and we will get through this together. Thank you.